0: Uh, So if you are able, uh, would you please stand as we give our attention to the reading of God's holy word? John 2, beginning in verse 13, the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem in the temple. He found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there and making a whip of cords. He drove them all out of the temple uh, with the sheep I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you could insert there and it's still not finished and you will raise it up in three days. But He was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. But you may be seated. Um, it was um, a year ago, like right at a year ago, when we as a church were um, reading together. We had, we had used it for Sunday Night Fellowship kind of through the summer and then turned it into a, a Sunday school uh, discussion, really. Um, we're reading together uh, uh, Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly. You remember, he his premise is, his sort of founding, opening uh, premise is that really the one place Jesus opens his heart to his people is when he describes himself as gentle and lowly. Matthew 11. And yet, you get to a passage like this, and you have to wonder, this doesn't sound like gentle and lowly. This doesn't sound like the the kind of thing I would expect someone who's gentle and lowly to do. In fact, this kind of sounds forceful and aggressive. And for that matter, high and authoritative. This sounds like the opposite of gentle and lowly or certainly the opposite of Gentle. And so the question is on what basis, and this really is the question of the Jews in the temple this day, on what basis does Jesus exercise this authority? Uh, first, I want you to see uh, that Jesus cleanses the temple. John records for us that he's there uh, for Passover. Um, and, and just in case you need to be reminded, Passover, think back to Exodus 12, think back to the 10 plagues in Egypt and delivering Israel out of uh, slavery and bondage uh, to take them to the promised land. The final plague was that death of the firstborn. And Passover was the feast that the Israelites were commanded to celebrate, slaughter a lamb, Cook the lamb, eat the bread, but the bread has no leaven because you don't have time for that. You eat dressed, ready to run. You paint the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. The idea there being that every household covered by the blood of the lamb would be spared the punishment in the 10th plague. We could wander, but that's not the point of this text here. Jesus is there celebrating Passover. He's there because, as time would move on, it would required that they uh, visit the temple uh, for this celebration. It's this annual feast, this annual celebration reminding Israel of their deliverance from slavery uh, to Pharaoh and egypt. and And this isn't Jesus' first Passover. It's the first one John tells us about, but it's not his first. In fact, it it should be at least his 19th, assuming he's 30 here. Because in Luke 2, uh, Luke records for us Jesus going to the temple for Passover when he was 12 with his parents. Remember the time when they went home and they discovered halfway home? We don't have Jesus in this crowd. Where is he? And they went back and found him in The temple, he was still there. Jesus, look, there's an implication here, right? In order for Jesus to be the perfect, spotless lamb of God, in order for Jesus to be an acceptable sacrifice for us, he had to keep the law, the whole law, every aspect of the law ceremonial moral civil he had to keep it all and so it's required it's incumbent upon him in order to be an acceptable sacrifice to have kept the old covenant law of being present of celebrating passover annually and it's interesting because as you read through the gospel of john you discover that the microphone battery has died and there it's on it'll go off again And when it does, I will pretend not to notice. Um, But it's interesting because John uses Passover as a, some of you had cameras when you were younger. Remember when you actually had to have a separate camera? You weren't carrying a phone in your pocket. You'd carry a, a camera. And when you took a picture, it left an imprint on this thing called film. Remember that, and you had to run down to your local Eckerd drugstore and drop it off to have that film um, uh, made, uh, developed, and you had to sometimes wait like a day. And when they got really good and weren't busy, they could do it in you know a couple of hours. And then you would get your pictures back, and there was a little little orange number, a date, a time. It's a timestamp. It told you when you took this picture. Well, John gives us timestamps as you read through his gospel. He gives us both here in chapter six in chapter 11. He anchors the events. He anchors his recounting of the ministry of Jesus to Passover. You'll watch as time goes by in the life and ministry of Jesus they're, they're marked by references to Passover. And so Jesus is here in the temple and he shows up in the temple and the temple is supposed to be a place of worship. You, you remember, again, this is where maybe there's Old Testament just in case. I promise I really don't mean to assume you know nothing, but it's worth recounting, right? David wanted to build the temple. God told him, no, your son Solomon will build the temple. David made a lot of preparations for it. Solomon will build the temple that was destroyed when Babylon came along and destroyed defeated Judah. when the the, the Israelites when the Jews were allowed to return to Jerusalem, they kind of started building the temple, and that was, that was kind of a you know a shack compared to what they had had and they were disappointed well that one also got destroyed now this one has been under construction for 46 years and it too will get destroyed in 70 AD when Rome conquers Jerusalem but the temple is supposed to be the place where God meets with his people it's supposed to be the place where the, his people show up and, and that's God's dwelling. That's God's, the, the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. We did that when we worked, worked our way through the book of Exodus uh, last year, whenever that was, it seems so long ago now. Um, and that's the place where, where God is to be worshipped according to his commands. And when Jesus gets there, he finds buckies. Right? Chaos, shopping, you can, you can get food, you can get all kinds of things. There's somebody yelling, you know, fresh brisket on the board, right? He finds himself in the midst of chaos. There's, there's sheep and oxen and, and making whatever noises and smells they make in one corner. There's money changers in another corner, sort of a foreign exchange, foreign currency exchange, right? You land in a new country, you have to go to this window and trade your American dollars for whatever it is they use. Because here's the thing, you're not going to be bringing a coin with Caesar's head on it to pay the temple tax. That is not allowed. Of course, the exchange rate was outrageous. The purchase price for um, a sheep and oxen without blemish. Even the pigeons, which were there for the poor, also an exorbitant price. And this is the chaos. This is what Jesus finds in the temple. They're supposed to be able to show up and pray and offer their sacrifice for their guilt offering, their sin, to offer the sacrifice of gratitude to God for His grace in delivering them. And instead, they find a zoo, a bank, a shopping mall. They find complete chaos. And that's the context, which, by the way, is um, uh, the response that Jesus gives in verse 16 is why, just to sort of make this side comment, I think this event happens twice. John doesn't take an event and put it in a new place. It actually happens twice. And the rationale for thinking that really has more to do with Jesus's response. Because what Jesus does is he finds a place to sit down. Gathers up chunks of leather from the ground. It's animals. It's pigeons. It's, there's, there's strips of leather all over the place. It was how they tied things up. How they closed um, pigeon cages. All sorts of things. Was, there was plenty of leather just lying around on the floor at this point. Right? You don't have time to sweep when you're in the midst of all this Making money. And Jesus finds a. I I don't know. Right. I, I don't know. I just sort of expect. He found a stool in a corner. And started weaving together a whip. Getting angrier and angrier. Because of what he sees and hears and smells and and as his anger rises within him he takes the whip he drives out the sheep and the oxen now that already is impressive right you ever you ever walked up onto i mean i don't know four or five sheep this is probably hundreds you ever walked up to like a a flock of just four or five sheep they don't run away from you like directly in front of you, where you want them to go. They scatter. One will go right. One will go left. One hops away one way. One hops a different way. Jesus, because He's God in the flesh, drives out the sheep, drives out the cattle, probably kind of gets them out the door, turns back around and runs over and and throws over tables and knocks the coins off the table. Then there's... Coins and papers and things going every which way and then over to the pigeons The people trying to sell pigeons to the poor because that was the accommodation for those who couldn't afford a lamb who couldn't afford sheep or cattle you still had to bring an offering but if you were poor enough you would offer pigeons. Which, by the way, is the offering that Mary and Joseph brought when Jesus was born back in Luke 2. You kind of almost assume that Jesus had a a soft spot, not just because of the poor, but because those are his parents too. Right? Mary and Joseph would have been in that particular category. But that leaves us with questions. I mean, how many of you, when I said his anger grew with it, he's sitting on a stool, weaving a whip, and, and you think, hold on a second. Because I'm pretty sure when I get angry like that, I'm sinning. Surely, Jesus can't get angry like that. Surely, that's somehow a, a violation of, of God's Word that can't be true of The Redeemer, He has to be meek and mild. We have this notion that all anger is sin. And yet, Scripture tells us, be angry and sin not, so somehow there is a thing that you can be angry and in a way that isn't itself sinful. I can assure you that if you are righteously angry because for the protection of the poor the fatherless, the widow, if you are righteously angry for um, the misuse of God's commands, the misuse of God's place of worship, if you're angry about sinful rebellion, then you're probably not. It's probably not quite as sinful as you might expect, and certainly for a righteous Savior, he is righteously angry. Because notice what he says in verse 16. Take these things away. Don't make my father's house a house of trade. His anger in this instance isn't the amount of money these people are charging. It isn't their prices. It's their presence. It's the fact that they are there at all. Now, the next time it will be their prices. Next time it will be the exorbitant uh, prices and 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 um, uh, uh, interest rates that they are charging. But here, they're not supposed to be here at all. Jesus and His perfect righteous anger, anger is aimed at people who are violating and ignoring God's commands, and in fact. The very people who should be leading God's people in righteousness. The second question, although I just answered it, you see what made Jesus angry. It's their misuse of the temple. And in in fact, what the disciples will remember comes straight out of Psalm 69. that, That zeal for the house of the Lord, zeal for your house will consume me. That's the, a description of the promised Messiah. And so they're remembering later on, they're, wait a minute, hold on a second. I know this verse. Jesus is fulfilling that verse. He's the one who's consumed by zeal for the temple. There's a... There's an application here for us. When an infinitely holy God is willing to condescend and meet with his people. He determines how that happens. Not us. He determines the requirements. He determines the conditions on which we will meet with him not us. That means in part that we are committed to doing in worship that which God commands us to do in worship. And that's really the problem in this passage. God's commands and intentions for the temple are being replaced by man's comfort and convenience. Jesus has a zeal for the right worship of God but the temple has been turned into a zoo Walmart Bucky's combination and he won't have it imagine showing up here to get your shopping done drop off your laundry have your laundry done right pick up some groceries some things you need buy that pair of shoes you've been been you know eyeing oh, and maybe I'll come in and sort of worship, but sort of not because I'll sort of be distracted. That's exactly what made Jesus angry. First, Jesus cleanses the temple. And then second, Jesus is the temple. You ever, you ever try to get into a place where you... People assume you have no right to be there. Um, I've told this story. It's been a while, so I'll do it again. Uh, When John was born, uh, our OBGYN was a friend. Her husband had been a a buddy at Clemson, and we were all kind of hanging out together. Um, Three couples, all friends, whatever. Um, And and Leslie took me um, into kind of the baby nursery part. But the part where you've got to swipe your card, right? You have to have the right sticker on your card. And if you scan it and it doesn't unlock the door, then that tells you you don't belong in this room. Leslie... OBGYN. She can do what she wants. She can go wherever she wants to. She swipes her card opens the door. I pause and follow her in and the nurses became security, uh, secret, uh, secret service agents like that. They were ready to destroy me until Leslie said he's with me and they sat back down that's what the Jews are asking Jesus in verse 18. What gives you the right to do this? I'm going to need to see license and registration. I'm going to need to see proof of insurance. I'm going to need to see some sort of something that says you have the right to come in here and tell us what to do. Right? Right. We need a sign. Now, never mind that Jesus has already performed at least one sign that John records, albeit only semi-public, right? Only a handful of people actually knew how that water became wine or or where the good wedding wine actually came from. But he's performed signs. They ask for a sign. And... <coughs> He doesn't give them one. He doesn't give them an immediate one. He doesn't say, well, here, poof, there's the sign. Right? Water, wine, there, I'm done. Now going about your marriage. No, instead he says, and he talks in code. He uses, well, it's a kind of a Hebrew ter- term for when you kind of, everything in a sentence has multiple meanings. Destroy this temple. I'll rebuild it in three days. They naturally assume the building, the stone stacked on top of each other, the temple that they're standing. I mean, that's where they're standing. They're in the temple. It makes sense. This is the temple. And so their response is, is obvious, right? Um, 46 years this temple has been under construction. Yeah. We're still a few years away before it actually is finished, but forty six years this building there's no way you're rebuilding this temple in three days see they they thought just based on the words and where they were standing that he was talking about the building, the temple, but that's not what Jesus meant. You notice. Verse 20, they thought he was talking about the temple. Verse 21, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. He wasn't talking about the Jewish temple. He was talking about the true temple, the real temple, the temple to which that temple, that structure, that building had always been pointing. Right. Isn't that the function of the temple? Just like the tabernacle, the temple is the place where God meets with His people, where God dwells with His people. How did John begin the Gospel? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. What is the name given to Jesus in Luke 2, I think it is? Emmanuel, God with us. Literally, the Hebrew words, with us, God, smushed together to make a name. With us, God. Is his name. Jesus is the temple. Jesus is the place where God meets with his people. Jesus is the the place where, where God comes to us to take on flesh and to dwell with us. The purpose of the temple all along was to point to Jesus. But this statement becomes Jesus's downfall. Humanly speaking, mind you, right? Turn with me. Just look back at Mark chapter uh, 14. Let me just show you uh, uh, what the Jews do with Jesus' statement. In Mark 14, Jesus has has been arrested, it's the trial. Um, Look down at verse 58. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands. And in three days, I will build another not made with hands. Is that what Jesus said? No. He doesn't say, I will destroy the temple. He says, destroy the temple. It's either a command or it's a challenge. Go ahead. Destroy it. Watch. There's a side implication here, right? Because isn't this sort of the issue in Genesis 3? Did God really say? And the serpent doesn't get it right. And Eve says, well, no. And she didn't get it right. There's something to be said for actually knowing what Scripture actually says before making assertions about what it says. Right? That's the essence here. They use this as uh, an argument for the destruction of Jesus. (laughs) They use Jesus' words. They spin it. They either misremember, mishear, that would be generous, or they are intentionally spinning it so that they can... Destroy the temple. No irony lost there, mind you. And so Jesus issues this challenge. Go ahead and destroy the temple and watch. Jesus, of course, was talking about his body. Jesus was saying, look, I am the temple. I am the true temple. I am the one to whom, to which, this building in which we are standing right now has always pointed. The temple always anticipated the promised coming Messiah. He is where God and man meet. Jesus cleanses the temple. Jesus is the temple. Let me make just a couple of uh, applications. Actually, it's more than a couple. It's more than normal. Uh, I think it's five applications from uh, this passage. First, notice um, verse 17 and verse 22 and what they have in common. Both of those pieces of the story end with the disciples remembering. Remembering. Somewhere along the way. Now, we know verse 22 is after the resurrection, but John puts it here. By the way, when Jesus is is raised from the dead on the third day, the disciples are going to remember this. It's entirely possible that verse 17 is somewhere into the future too, that the disciples remembered it later on, or it could be they remembered it right then and there. But the point is, whatever the case, they remembered God's Word. They remembered scripture. The spirit used the word in confirming for them. This guy really is the Messiah. That's what he does for us. That's the role of the spirit. We're going to get there in John's gospel, but his whole point, his whole aim is to take the word and bring it back up in your minds to remind you all over again, to remember all over again that Jesus is exactly who He says He is. They remembered Psalm 69 and verse 9, I think it is, just one verse. Zeal for the house of the Lord will consume me. And they see Jesus and His zealous his zeal for the, the house of the Lord and go, hold on a second. The psalmist told us this would happen. And here it is. The reality is the more you and I are exposed to Scripture, uh, the more the Spirit will use His Word to train us, to conform us to the image of Christ, to give us wisdom and understanding. Which, by the way, also serves as a warning. When we sort of treat Scripture like, I'll be there Sunday if it feels like it, if it's comfortable, I'll be there if it's easy, I'll be there, then we, we're we robbing ourselves of the tools the Spirit uses for our growth. Second um, uh, application from this passage is, and I've already alluded to this, we must worship as God has commanded us. There's a, a lot in the church today marked um, a little too much by coming up with sort of the latest, greatest, next best thing, right? Here's the latest fad. This is what the latest poll says. This is what all the latest, greatest research is showing. But to quote Lick Duncan, what you win them by, you win them to. But Scripture has told us exactly what to do in worship. And so that's what we will do in worship. Even if it seems like nobody else around us is doing that even if it sort of breaks all the barn poles god's word is our guide for worship not man's ideas a third application should we not have zeal for god's house should we not have that kind, same kind of of zeal sort of to be eagerly longing for right worship to be here in worship with God's people. Shouldn't we be dying to get here early and stay as long as we can and milk every great wonderful thing out of this? Because this is only a small piece of your week and when we treat it like, eh, I'll show up late, I'll leave early, I'll do the best I can, we're kind of admitting it's not a big deal to us. We should have the same kind of zeal To be with God's people. That means singing heartily. It means praying fervently. It means listening intently. Zeal for worship ought to mark God's people. Fourth, there's no reason to wait for the temple to be rebuilt. We don't need the building in Jerusalem built again. Why not? Because that's going backwards. That's undoing Jesus. That's the wrong direction. When you have the true, you don't need the the shadow anymore. When you have the true temple, you don't need to go back to the old covenant types when you have uh, the antitype with you, and that is Jesus. We don't need the temple in Jerusalem rebuilt because we have the greater temple, and it's in Jesus that God and man meet. And then finally, Um, Notice this application. Uh, Jesus knows the hearts of men. Did you notice verse 23 to 25? There's some people who watch Jesus doing these signs, performing these signs, and they, in response, believe in Jesus. But notice the language. On his part, Jesus didn't entrust himself to them. Literally, he didn't believe in them. It's literally he didn't believe in them. That, that, that right there sounds foreign. That sounds strange. It almost sounds like it can't possibly be true. Because if someone believes in Jesus, who in the world, Jesus of all people, would never look at them and go, but I don't believe in you. Unless their faith is false. False unless their faith is fake, unless their faith is only based on not who is Jesus, but what's in it for me. Jesus sort of distinguishes here between false faith or temporary faith or self-serving faith and true saving faith. If you're only here for the snacks and the benefits, and there are snacks, and sometimes they're amazing. then your faith isn't saving faith. And and Jesus says that's not sa- those who were believe only because of the signs they're seeing they're not truly trusting in Christ for their salvation. But what did John start with? Those who do receive him. Who believe in his name He gave the right to be called sons of God. Believer, that's your hope. Trust in Christ. He welcomes you. But false, fake, self-serving faith, He knows your heart, even if no one else around you does. Let's pray together. Uh, Father in heaven, we thank you for uh, your word. Uh, that calls us to faith and repentance, uh, that points us to Christ as the fulfillment of all that the Old Testament anticipated and and longed for and and wanted. Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your faithfulness to accomplish our salvation, even to the details of participating in Passover and preserving the purity of the temple. Would you be at work here at Grace Covenant? Make us people who are marked by zeal for right worship, marked by a zeal for your house, marked by a zeal to be with your people on the Lord's day, delighting in the sweetness and goodness that you have given to us. And we pray that you would use that to build up your church, not just Grace Covenant, but Southside Prez meeting for the first time today and other churches in our area and those who are faithfully proclaiming the name of Christ, even in this community. Would you build and grow and establish and strengthen your church here on earth until you return? We ask all of this in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen.